What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour. My guest this week is entering her sixth year as a, as a board of trustee member here at Bethany and 16th year at the SNY Network in New York. She's going to talk about everything from the department to what she's doing now. Her name, Marie de Paris, class of 1983. Some of the things she's going to talk about with the department is how it's a hands-on department immediately as a freshman when you come in and how you get to practice the things you learn as opposed to just being taught about them. She's also going to talk about the $5.3 million that was raised by, the, by her and her group with the Daily News during 9-11 for the 9-11 victims. Eight Emmys for the region of New York and one Promax Award where she beat the likes of ESPN and NBC Sports. I don't need to tell her story. That's what she's here for. Uh, lastly, make sure you check out Chambers General Store and follow us on our social social media. But without further ado, this is Marie de Paris. You wanna know by now? You wanna know by now? You wanna know by now? You wanna know? You wanna know? You wanna... What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carla Guadagnino. This is the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour. My guest this week, Marie de Paris, class of 1983. Uh, Marie's going to talk about everything from how she got to Bethany what she did while she was at Bethany, and then we'll take a break, we'll come back, and we'll talk about everything that has happened in your career since. Marie, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. And I'm going to jump right into it. How did you find Bethany? How did you find your way to Bethany, West Virginia? Got a catalog in the mail. Um, I went through the catalog, the pictures. It was the quintessential college that I had always dreamed of, and um you know, I applied and I applied for a lot of places and we did come for a visit. It was a little scary, got lost trying to find the place, um, but I fell in love with it. And Bethany was very um, gracious and, and offered me a lot of scholarship and financial aid. So here I was a Jersey girl in West Virginia. Now, what was the, when you first get to Bethany, what is the thought process? Because I'm guessing where you were from in Jersey and what Bethany looked like were completely two different uh, areas. Yeah, they were a little bit different. I was living, you know, I, I spent my high school years living near the Jersey shore. So, you know, ocean to mountains, but it was still beautiful. Um, the people were just amazing. I remember going as a prospective student and staying over in one of the dorms and going to a party and just meeting a variety of people um, and knowing that I, I could fit in with them. Mm -hmm. um, so it didn't matter geographically, it was different, but people-wise, it didn't feel all that different to me. And when you got to Bethany, what was your major? My major was communications when I got to Bethany. I did end up double majoring in communications and French, which I tacked on the French part my senior year um, after spending a semester in the Sorbonne. <laughs> In Paris. Oh, I was going to ask. So, how did the how did French become? And I guess why why French? Why not Spanish or Italian or? I guess those would be the two. I think. Well, as a communications major, you were you were required to take two years of a language, and I had taken French in high school. Um, my last name wasn't De Paris then; it was Zuberbuehler. Um, but my mother had some French in her, and her mother spoke French, and it was just a, it was a romantic language that I loved. Um, so after two years, after taking two years of it in college, um, Dr. Pauline Nelson had a huge influence on me. Um, she talked me into spending a semester in Paris. 
And at that point, I had become fluent in the language. I loved reading in the language. I loved the history. And she said, you know, you could double major here. You only need so many more requirements to be able to complete that. And I was like, yeah, but I also need another set of comps. But <laughs> we did it anyway. And I found a way to sort of blend the two majors together. Uh, so on, you, you brought up the, the faculty members. Were there any other faculty members that were influential in, in kind of your time at Bethany? There were so many. Um, as a freshman, uh, Jim Humes was very influential on me because I started at the radio station and he, um, he ran the radio station. So, but he did not stay throughout my four, full four years. And Dr. Hal Shaver came in. And he also was a great influence, but you know, Dr. Larry Grimes, um, David Judy. David Judy was just the absolute best. Um, and I, when I first came to Bethany, I wasn't sure I was gonna major in communications. I was like, communications or theater? Okay. Um, well, I didn't even get cast in the first play that I auditioned for. So <laughs> I cried my eyes out. Someone told me, go to the radio station. There's a place for you there. You could do really well there. You might really love it. Try that. And I did. And then, you know, I never left. I basically stayed there and I never went out for another play. So was it similar to what, so when I got here in 2010, it was, you were able to jump right in as a freshman with the radio station and in general with Calm. I mean, you were able to do a lot of things, TV studio, et cetera. Was it the same way you were able right away to get hands-on experience of running a show, doing your own show and the, the ins and outs of being in the radio industry? Yes, it was. I mean, they wanted all freshmen to start with a newscast to learn to write a newscast, to learn to present it on the air, which I did do right there my freshman year. I also, I think I had a radio shift my freshman year. I don't remember, but I, I mean, I remember living at the radio station. I always had a, a DJ shift um, and did some other shows. We did a, I remember doing a, a sort of a music talk show um, on like a, a weekday evening on a regular basis. Um, I became a music director, a program director, and eventually the student manager, the first um, female student manager, I believe, at Bethany College. Um, so you're able to do everything. And that, that's one of the, you know, you talk about what did you do at Bethany? I wonder what I didn't do um, because I really, really enjoyed my time there and the ability to participate in so many different things. Now, was there a big jump academically from where you went to high school to coming to Bethany, or was it kind of hit the ground running and with the resources that were here, it was a, a, an easy transition? No, it, it, for me, it was an easy transition. I came from a very, very large high school. My senior class was a thousand students. So we had different tracks at high school and you I was saw in, that I in was four in years. higher track. You saw right. that in the four years at Bethany, a thousand people maybe. It, yeah, if you're lucky. <laughs> It was, that was, that was a big difference, but no, academically, I think, um, you know, there were some courses that were tougher than others. There were some that you really tried to get an A at, you know, because nobody got an A with it, like Dr. Stanley Becker, you know, I, I got an A in his class. Everybody said you can never get an A in his class. And he was, he was a very unique um, individual. Now, what made the classes work for you? I mean, you said it was an easy transition. What made the transition easy? You know, uh, minus the, the size of your school, uh, your high school, the academic side, was it the way the small class sizes? Was it the extra resources that were around? What was the thing about Bethany 
that, or was it just that I'm, I'm like myself who needed the resources. Maybe you didn't, you, you had the, the, just read the notes, take the notes, do your, do the assignments. I had really good study habits, which I, you know, I guess I'd always had throughout my academic career, but I think that the teachers made it interesting. It was so much, it wasn't about every class going in and memorizing what they presented to you. It was more about them presenting facts or opinions and discussing them and bringing your, you know, using your brain to think about things and to talk about them. Um, so it wasn't really memorization necessarily. It was ab absorbing history or absorbing what you see in the media on a communications class or public relations or um, and learning how to write. Um, I was a pretty good writer before I came to Bethany, but I certainly became the writer I am today because of Bethany. So on the let's let's leave let's leave the academic side. Socially, what was because I mean there were concerts, there were there was a lot of things that were happening for the student body on campus during your time from from some other people that I've had from the from right. the, that 80s group. Um, what were some of your greatest or or more memorable moments? Uh, to quote Jamal Robinson from a couple episodes ago, what were the moment? What were the memorable moments socially for for you here at Bethany? Well, first of all, I became an Alpha Z Delta, so I loved being in a sorority, and um, I loved my sorority sisters and living up on the hill. Um, and those activities were really fun. The hardest part was as a freshman choosing one, um, you know, because you have friends and they all start to split up and go in into different houses. But as you know at Bethany, everybody is friendly with everybody. Um, I got to work with Darlene Nicholson, um, Miss Nick, and be on the on the committee that booked the events and the concerts at Bethany. So I have a couple really memorable moments. One was booking the band Bellotto, um of I Want to Be a Lifeguard fame, because I was really into music. Okay? So um, I love doing that. That was really fun. Another one was booking Steve Forbert, who has since become, um, he's still a lifelong friend of mine, but he came out and did a concert at Bethany, which was great in the field house. And um, I brought him back to the radio station and let him play DJ for a while. I still have that tape somewhere of him picking songs and talking about them and doing that. And then a few of us, of course, went with the band, you know, to a post-concert party and, um, and it, it was it was the basis of of what has become the lifelong friendship. Um, so that those were some of the great ones. Um, those were some of the great ones. Now, when you brought the because there the the amount of concerts that have gone on here at Bethany when that when those the talents came to to Bethany did they stay the night at the Gresh and maybe frequent that that establishment that right now is not open but across the street or how did that yes work? some you know, of them did. Bubba was Bubba. I mean, from every story I've heard, there was, <laughs> as long as Bubba was happy, everybody else was happy. If Bubba wasn't in a good mood, you might not be so welcome in the bar. Well, first of all, when I was there, you could drink at the age of 18. So you were allowed in. I just want to state that. Yes. Um, secondly, I remember a band called The Association. They had hits in like the 70s. They were sort of an older band by the time they got to us. And we took them to Bubba's. I... Yeah, <laughs> they enjoyed Bubba's, let me I say. I would that. imagine so. Um, Steve Forbert and his band stayed in Weirton 
at the Holiday Inn in Weirton. So not everybody stayed at the Gresham House, but some did. Uh, but a lot of them did. I, I remember there was another band that came, um, the Mitchell Korn Band. It was a jazz band from New York City. And I think it was my senior year that they came. And I had them, at, I always had them at the radio station. We always did interviews. And one of the, I found one of the band members to be very fascinating because he played saxophone for the Psychedelic Furs, very popular band at the time. So we got into a lot of rock and roll conversation. Turned out he lived down on uh, Canal Street in Manhattan. So of course it was my senior year. The next year I moved to Manhattan and started working, kept in touch with him and uh, tried to, I tried to break into the music industry by doing press releases and managing him for a little while on his own. Um, but I wasn't very successful in that and it didn't give me very much money. So I actually, you know, I had to stick with my day job. Um, so if you had to sum up as a, what a, what a student experience like in Bethany is in, in, in the four year, normal four year span, what would be your, your summarization of that, of the experience you had? Well, the experience is whatever you want to make. And I would say for me, it was the opportunity to be involved in everything, writing for the tower, um, being a French club president, um, you know, doing some independent studies, going to conferences, booking bands, having, you know, lifelong, you made lifelong friends. Mm -hmm. And then of course, um, you know, academically for me, it was, it was a wonderful, wonderful setting for the rest of my career and where I was gonna go. Um, I did have some professors try to talk me into going to grad school but at the time, I was just a poor student and I needed to make some money. So I never did go down that path. But for some, that's what it is. It's the foundation to get them on to grad school. Mm -hmm. So you, you brought up that you were involved in Greek life. Yep. Um, was that something from coming into school you already knew? Like, I, I, wanna, I want that, ex that college experience. And what was, what are the two biggest differences, like, or the, the biggest difference between Greek now and Greek in the 80s? Well, I don't know what Greek is like now, but I, other than, you know, my son was a member of a Greek fraternity, you know, at Florida State. That's a whole different experience. That's a big bug. But, <laughs> but for in, in the 80s, it was just a coziness. It was um, a sense of belonging. And, and also, it really helped set your social agenda, right? Like what parties and mixers and different things that you would go to, which fraternities you were closest to or independence. Um, it was something that when I always thought about college, I always wanted to be in. Okay. It just was, it was that, I thought that that meant a college experience meant being part of Greek life. Um, people have your back when you need it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's always really important. Um, and, and the activities that come along with it, Greek sing, that's always, they still do that at Bethany, Greek sing, I love Greek sing. I, you know, as an Alpha Z, I'm just gonna point this out. Every Alpha Z I ever talked to, they love Greek sing, they love, I would love Greek sing too if I won Greek sing for 30 straight years or whatever it was. <laughs> no, we didn't win when I was there. No, no, the Five Muse won, Five Muse won when I was there. So you met our <laughs> producer. She is yes. an Alpha Z. She's the current president of Alpha Z. My, my yeah. girlfriend is an Alpha Z. Um, I have, I live, I was an Alpha Sig. I lived right in the middle of Alpha Z and Zeta. I pre preferred hanging out with the Alpha Zs because one, the smart cup was the, uh, the way to go. And <laughs> they could make sure that I stayed in school. 
And, you know, the Zetas just tend to get you in trouble. It's just the way. <laughs> You're going to get in trouble by talking like this. You know that. Well, I, you know, we, who's going to be mad? We, <laughs> it's um, funny. When I was there, um, the Alpha Zs weren't necessarily the academic um, sorority. I always got my a single because I always had the highest GPA. <laughs> so maybe that's why I end up there. But I love my my Alpha Zs. They're the best. And and so the the that was just the perfect fit for you when you went through. You you said it was it, the toughest part was making the decision. It was. It was really tough making the decision. Um, one of my best friends from freshman year, and you know when I was living in Harlan Hall, Susie Main went by Mew. It was really tough. But that didn't mean that we didn't see each other and we didn't do things together. Well, I think that's a good place. We'll take a pause right now. We're going to send it to Harry Chambers with Chambers General Store. Uh, if they don't have it, you don't need it. It's on a shirt. Make sure if you're in town, you buy it, which in a couple of weeks here, homecoming will be coming up. So make sure if you're in town, you stop by. Uh, breakfast sandwiches, lunch specials. By that point, I don't know if we'll have soup yet. I'm, I'm, I'm working on Harry to get the soup a little earlier because, you know, it's getting a little cold. <laughs> colder this year than it's been uh he's pretty set on that november 1st date for for soup but uh this is marie de paris class of 1983 i'm carlo guadalino this is the dingo talk alumni tour and harry chambers take it away you just watched another exciting episode of dingo talk recorded in the secret lair deep in the hills of bethany west virginia let me give a shout out to my man don over at maple shade outdoor he got some great he's got some great stuff going on over there on youtube and instagram please make sure you check him out. Also, now available as promised, we have the second edition Bethany West Virginia Mushroom Capital of the World t-shirts and our Chambers General Store. If we don't have it, you don't need it t-shirts. Available in all sizes. So make sure you stop by the store for a t-shirt, breakfast sandwich, our sausage biscuits and gravy, and make sure to check out those daily lunch specials. Now back to you, Dingo. What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carla Guadagnino. This is the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour. My guest, Marie de Paris, class of 1983. We left off with Greek life and academics and all of the excitement and moments that were shared from a social aspect and a, I would call it a work aspect if you were, you were hiring and bringing in talent to and booking concerts and whatnot. Uh, we're going to move on to that, 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 Gang test, and you took two of them that connect all of us as Bithynians. Um, comps. So, first question: spring or winter comper? Both, because I took two. Ah, see, I didn't. I only took one, so I didn't know if you could take them both. <laughs> in the, um, which one was first? Was it calm? Was it calm? And then, because you you didn't get you didn't finish French until the end of your senior year, correct? Right, right. So I did the communications um, comps in January. And that January, I took um, an internship in New York City, and I lived at the Salvation Army and walked um, a long way every day to a public relations firm in Midtown. Um, so every night, and I had no money, so every night I came back after work and studied for comps by myself in this small, tiny room at the Salvation Army, like housing for women or something. <laughs> And what were your, were your study tactics, you know, just going over your notes? Was it rewriting your notes? How did you prepare for this? Test? I don't know. I guess I probably stressed? looked through, I probably looked through all my notebooks and reread things and 
and reminded myself of, of everything that we covered in, in communications. But quite frankly, um, if you put into practice what you've learned, it stays with you. So I had always put much of it into practice at the radio station, at the newspaper, um, you know, anything else that I was doing. So um, to me, I was more worried about the spring comps in French than I was about communications. I did get distinction in communications, but I didn't know if I'd even pass on the French one. Well, so let's fast forward to the French one and then I'll ask the last question on the comp category. Um, how did you do on the French comps that you- I passed. Well, yeah. <laughs> was it as successful as the communications comms or was it just a, you, you, you passed it and, and, and again, were the study tactics different then? Because now you're, you're back on campus, right? Oh, yeah. Um, well, no, because I did not get distinction in French. Um, so I just passed in French. But, um, you know, I, again, I, I, I think the study habits are probably the same. The difference is that you, it's hard to study with anyone um, it, because it's French. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, you really, I continued to read everything in French. I tried to keep my, uh, I tried to remain fluent. So we did, we did have a French club um, on campus. So there were some people to talk to in French and, and to do that. But that one, that one was a tough one because some of it was in French, as I recall. But yet, as you remember with, with comps and the orals, you have other professors that are there, not just the French professor. So it was a combination of the two and talking about politics and history and, and other things like that and my experience in Paris. So I, I have to ask before we wrap up the, the comps situation, do you remember your comp board on either on either of the comps, your, your winter comps or your spring comps? No. I, you know, I, I just, some people, it's like the name of the, the professor that wasn't on, that wasn't part of the major. That's the name that everybody remembers. And you just, well, you know, the, the French department or the communications department. But so I had, that. I, I probably, I probably had John Taylor in one of them. I'm almost certain he would have been in, in probably the community. Well, I don't know which one. And I'm pretty certain Dr. Larry Grimes was in one of mine along with, of course, the head of the department. Mm -hmm. um, so you would always have that. But yeah, I, I don't even remember how many they bring in. I know I had four, but I also had four in a, in a weird way. You know, you you and I both know Professor Yankasek Gamble. And so I had her, I had Dr. Sutherland, I had uh, Jason Smith. And then Jason had, some, he had another comps he had to be on and there was a conflict of schedule. So he left. But my non-major person was the librarian. And the question she asked me was, what did you think of the library? And <laughs> I shook my head and went, well, it's a very nice selection of movies and books. And she goes, how often did you use it? I said, the last two weeks studying for comps. So um, <laughs> last thing on comps, is there any advice for someone that's going in this year? You know, the, the winter comps will be here in January before we know it, and then spring comps and we'll be back to a, the end of a new year. Um, any advice for somebody that's taking comps coming up? Um, I would say, again, I, I would tell the freshmen when they come in to put into practice what you learn as much as you can. But if you're a senior now going into it and you're cramming at the last possible moment and everything, I remember one thing very distinctly. 
they talk about current events. And that was something I hadn't studied and I didn't realize would be part of it. In both, I think it was in both of them. So I guess my advice would be uh, pay attention to current events and how it, how it impacts what your major is. So in communications, um, current events is the changing of the distribution model for television. Mm -hmm. um, that's a huge impact on where, and, and the streaming services, the proliferation of streaming services and the viewing habits changing toward streaming services. So that would be something to think about. Um, so graduation comes, you've got your two comps passed. What is the first step out of Bethany? What is the, the first move? Well, first thing I did before I, there's a week between the end of comps and before you go to, um, before graduation. So I went back home, I drove back home to New Jersey and went to New York City and pounded the pavement basically and found a job. Um, now, in New York City in that age, those days, you know, you basically had to take typing tests to get a job as an administrative assistant in any agency that you wanted to work in. So in the New York Times, you'd see all these ads for, for entry-level administrative assistant in, you know, advertising agencies. And that's what I did. I went through, they, they have agencies that, that put that all together. So I went and got a job. The question I told you, it's going to come somewhere down the line. It's a curveball. If you were talking to your childhood self, what would you, what advice would you give them? Have confidence in whatever you want to do, because I think, I think I had, have had a really great career and great experiences and I wouldn't trade them in for the world. But if I had more confidence, I may have gone a different path. Um, and I didn't develop that confidence until many years into my career. So let's talk about more about your career. What are you doing now? Well, for the past 16 years, I've been working for SNY, which is a regional sports network in New York that carries the New York Mets broadcast games mm -hmm. and programming. We carry New York Jets programming. We're the home of the Jets, home of the Mets and the home of UConn women's basketball. Um, we also have a nightly sports news program, similar to Sports Center, but it focuses just on New York sports. Mm -hmm. So I am the Senior Vice President of Marketing and Affiliate Relations for the network. Um, and I have been, you know, like I said, 16 years. That means is I'm in charge of all promotions and marketing for the network, for our shows, for any of our digital products. And then on the affiliate relations side, um, cable television is built on having dist distributors, right? Where we get the rights from the net, from the Mets to carry the games. We produce it, package it, put it out in our network, and we sell our network to the distributors. And you buy your cable subscription or your DirecTV subscription from these distributors. My responsibility is those distributors and those relationships. It re represents about 80% of our revenue. And right now, it's a part of the industry that's changing rapidly. Um, so it's very interesting. Well, so you, um, you brought up the streaming services and, and as I pointed out earlier in the show, we had Jamal on and he now works for, for Netflix. And that's right. clearly the, in my opinion, the top dog of the streaming services, just because they, they kind of cornered that originally. Um, is that somewhere that you see sports going? Is it going yes. to go to more of a, you're going to specifically subscribe to let's, you know, SNY, the Big Ten Network, they are going to move themselves to this 
all sports all the time. Here it is. Classic games. Is that kind of where it's going? Um, yes and no. I, I think the cable bundle is still very, very strong. And, and all the sports rights are really owned by companies who make their money through the cable bundle right now. Now you'll see Amazon is going to get Thursday night football and you're going to see a few things in there. Netflix does not really have sports. Um, so where is that going to go in the future? Well, there's a lot of talk right now about direct to consumer and how that ecosystem is going to look. But keep in mind that a lot of them also, a lot of the networks have long-term agreements with these distributors. And so it can't just end overnight. Yeah, it's not a flip of the switch. Yeah, it's it's very complex. Um, but you know, you've you've read a lot about ESPN Plus and streaming right now. Their main properties are still on ESPN in the cable bundle, but ancillary properties are on ESPN Plus. They put Peacock, NBC put Peacock, part of the Olympics on Peacock. There's a lot changing. This that would be a whole nother episode, Carl, <laughs> if we got into that. Well, so let me ask you, have, before you got, 16 years ago, before you got to SNY, was, were you in sports at that point? Or was that, was that the change in your career from one branch of communication to the sports side of communication? I was not specifically in sports. This is what I will tell you. When I was at Bethany, I um, worked with George Manahan and Jim Rice to do baseball broadcasts on WVBC. I've always loved baseball. So I've sort of come full circle. I've always loved sports and entertainment. And I worked in PR. Then I worked for a television production company that produced exercise shows on ESPN from Hawaii. Then I came back and worked at Radio City Music Hall. Um, so, you know, doing all kinds of entertainment and the Christmas show, but I've always, always been connected to a sports in some way. From Radio City, I worked on Broadway for a year. Then I went and worked at the, the New York Daily News. So I spent about nine years at the New York Daily News and I worked with every sports team in the market. I worked with every um, league on various promotions and partnerships and various things and really, really had a deep dive into New York sports and professional sports through that job. I was the head of marketing um, for the Daily News. So. It seemed like a natural, when I noticed that things were changing in the newspaper business, and I knew that I would eventually be out of a job because I knew that newspapers were not going to exist in the form that they were most successful. Um, so back in 2006, I think it was, I left for a job at Fox, the local Fox station, to set up the business part of their, web, their website. Okay. Teaching the Salesforce how to sell, doing because I'd worked at the website also in the Daily News. Within a year, after one year, I got this job at SMY, and it was just a natural fit. I knew baseball; it was a passion. I knew New York, the market. I knew advertising, um, promotion, all of the things. The only thing I didn't really know that well was TV, but I learned it very quickly. <laughs> what um, are there any? So you worked for the Mets for sixteen years. Is there any? points that stand out being a baseball fan that um moments that you can remember that are um memorable moments yes yeah I just... <laughs> you know it was it's been heartbreaking sometimes um in 2007 and 2008 we, we 
we, we fell apart. The Mets, the team fell apart in the last few weeks of the season. But I think the highlight for me was 2015 when the Mets went to the World Series and we had all this programming going on around it. And I was at the games and I remember the game that Matt Harvey pitched and where he stayed in just a little too long. And it was heartbreaking. And I remember coming in to the office after they lost in the World Series and I was really down. And some other people were, were like, well, what's the matter? You know, we never expected them to go this far. This is just the beginning. And, and I know, you know, there's more to come that we should be grateful for where they went. And I thought, but it's so hard. It's so to get hard that close. to get to the World Series and to get as close as we got. And I was dreaming of a ring. <laughs> so on, on, on that note, what would you say the most, the, or your, your biggest accomplishment so far? Oh, my biggest accomplishment is not, well, my biggest accomplishment came when I was with the Daily News and it, it, it's heartbreaking, but it came after 9-11. Um, I was at the Daily News during 9-11. I was in the office and um, it, it was just a heartbreaking, heartbreaking time. But the next day, because when you work for a newspaper or a news organization, you don't stay home. You come in. So we came in the next day and I remember sitting with some key members of our executive committee and we were like, what do we need to do? And um, from my side, I'm a marketer. What am I like? I'm not going to be doing the same things that the editorial um, you know, side of the business would be doing. And what I remember doing, talking to my president and saying, we need to help. How, how can we help people in the best possible way? And I remembered from previous years working with Rusty Staub of the New York Mets, and he had set up a fund for the widows and children of firefighters and policemen that lost their lives in the line of duty. So the first thing we said was, let's do that. Let's help the families of these frontline workers that lost their lives. And I called up Rusty Staub and said, would you work with us? And he said, absolutely. And he said, and I'm working with this big law firm and they're helping. And we just immediately started publishing stories, asking people to donate for these families. And we would, it started pouring in because the Daily News was a trusted organization. It was a blue collar newspaper that had been there since 1918 in New York City. And we were getting donations big and small. And it became my full-time job for a year to take these donations to work with editorial, to write stories about the people who donated and why, the people that were helping. We went to um, funerals. We got to know some families. We took big checks and did presentations like at City at, at Shea Stadium. Mm -hmm. You know, every time we hit a certain milestone, we would go and we'd bring um, one, one fireman who had lost his son, was really active in this with us. And at the end, we raised $5.3 million for the widows and children of these frontline workers. And the Daily News just processed the payments. We didn't take anything out of it. We had set up a charities account and we just processed the payments and proportionately donated them to several different, you know, the, the, uh, the Port Authority workers, the police, New York City police, the firemen, everybody that, that needed to be compensated and helped through this fund. So that forever will be my biggest accomplishment in my career. Wow, Five, $5.3 million for, for frontline workers, the families, and, and not a penny was touched by, no. by anybody else. It was just 
here we need to, these people need help let's get them everything that we can get um and you know what else carla i have to tell you this it was a healing process for the people who worked at the daily news and saw such horrors and it was also a healing process for some of the people who donated because they would write letters and we would go through the letters and we'd turn them into stories or some of them would even come to the newspaper office and i remember there was this lovely lovely couple from Pennsylvania that came and they brought all these carved Halloween, like, like carved figurines. And mm -hmm. they said, give these to the kids and here's some money, but also here's this. And so it was just, I think it helped everybody start to heal. And, and like I said, it took a year. I mean, it was over a year. It did not stop um, all the way through to that anniversary. And I guess I could go through the archives and see all the, all of the different, um, all the different articles that were run and the, and the photos and things like that. When, and I, I want to talk about another accomplishment that you have. I, there, there's an Emmy there. There's uh, a couple Emmys from what I've been told. Yeah. How, did, how did winning an Emmy feel? Well, first I have to say it's New York Emmys, different than the Jamal National Emmy, but it's still a wonderful, wonderful award in the New York marketplace for a network that, um, that's situated here. Mm -hmm. um, I've won a few, and they're all, and they're not all me. It's the team that wins them. My name just happens to be on them, and I've I've more executive produced them or produced them than anything else. But they were all for brand campaigns um, because that's what I do. Um, I put together television campaigns that market our network and differentiate our market. And I'm very fortunate to be able to, to use humor in them as well. So they break through the clutter. They really take on the tone of the New York sports fan. They connect with the New York sports fan. And I've done, you know, probably one, one every two years because I think we have eight of them um, that we've won. And it's just a blessing. And I've worked with great creative um, producers who come up, creatives who come up with the, the concept and the script and the visual. Um, it's definitely not a one-person thing. It's a team. And it feels great when you go to that award ceremony and they call your name and you have to walk up and accept it. It's also nerve-wracking, <laughs> um, but it does feel great. So I'm going to ask, do you remember anybody that was in the category with you or shows that were in the categories with you that you that you guys have won for do you remember anybody that you were going against in the new york market yeah we generally go against some of the same um it, the same competitors you know there's the yes network and msg the other two regional sports networks but it's not a sports award okay. this is so it's also the wnbc's wabc's wcbs's of the marketplace, um, the, the public um, you know, television station, sometimes even the teams now, the teams have started to um, produce some of their own things, but it is, it is for a brand. And, um, and so it's the category of brand campaign. I do remember one, it wasn't an Emmy, but it was um, another, Promax is an industry, a television industry um, organization, and they do awards and we did, what we did have one campaign that went up against all of the nationals. So ESPN and NBC Sports, and we won uh, for, a, it was for a spot in particular. Um, but it was a really funny spot. 
And, and that's got to be a, a, a great feeling as a team when you guys all come together and say, like, hey, ESPN did it, the yeah. MSM or uh, NBC Sports did it, and we're, we're, we're the top dog on this for this spot. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was a great one. Throughout your career, how would you say that Bethany has helped you succeed now that you're, you're, you're removed from, from your time here? Oh, you're never removed from your time at Bethany. Um, and I think that the foundation started me off, but I have to say it's the other alumni. It's being connected um, with, with others from my class and from classes before me and after me. Um, the women in leadership, um, you know, the events that are being done where we come back and we talk to others and we meet others. I mean, I have so many... Bethanians who are now friends that I did not know when I went to school at Bethany. And now I'm very proud to be able to serve on the board of trustees. And that has helped me in a, in a big way because I've learned so much. Um, I've been in my going in my sixth year, I think. And I've learned so much, a lot about financials, which I wasn't really what I did before, but, <laughs> but that's, that's why you're, you're always connected to Bethany. So you kind of beat me, you and Jamal, you beat me to the punch on these dang questions for the board of <laughs> trustee thing, but you said it perfectly. You're never actually removed from your, you're removed from your time. You're no longer a student, but you're never removed from the place. You have now for six years have been a part of the board of trustees. Uh, the board of trustees came back this past summer. They were on, on campus for a retreat. You, I believe, weren't able to be there and there was, but you were there virtually. Right. What were the takeaways from this meeting in comparison to maybe other meetings that have happened? Well, I think, first of all, I think the retreats are really important because um, we do so much on our two meetings a year and it moves so fast that you need to really take a deep dive into where are we now, where were we and where are we going? So the, in this particular meeting, we did, we did just that. Mm -hmm. We talked about that. What's the, the headwinds that we were facing and all small colleges are facing? What's our differentiator and how are we going to move forward? And we have a very actionable plan as we develop a strategic plan to move Bethany forward. Um, I think our refinancing through the USDA has, it provides us with um, some resiliency, that, that much needed resiliency to get us moving forward and coming out of this, this pandemic. I mean, we had a plan, we were moving pretty well, the pandemic hit like everybody else and yeah. you have issues and things you have to deal with. But Bethany really, um, at, and Dr. Rodenberg really led everything. I mean, we have to thank her so much um, for being the strong leader that she was through this pandemic. And fortunately, Bethany was able to continue to educate students and keep faculty and students safe. Um, so there's a lot to be thankful for. Um, last question from, as a board of trustee member, what is a typical meeting like? You know, you guys meet twice a year in person, but there's a monthly meeting as well, right? Where there, or, there, or a monthly, I don't want to There are a it. lot of meetings, <laughs> you know, there are, we have for the past five years done more than just the two annual meetings. We have phone discussions, Zoom discussions, discussions on topics when, when things arise that are raised to a board level. 
Um, so I don't know that there's any standard meeting other than the one we do in, at homecoming and the one we do at graduation because there are items that we need to do. But I would tell you this, um, the representation is across the entire community. Um, we listen to the faculty give presentations on what they're doing. We listen to the, every committee that has met throughout the year, talk about the state of theirs, the enrollment committee, the financial committee, what buildings and ground committee, all of those types of things. We, we discuss and we vote on what we need to vote on. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, then at the end, we, we like to socialize a little bit, except usually we're exhausted. <laughs> well, with that, with the type of meetings that you have to have on the beginning of those meetings, it's, it's kind of hard not to be exhausted at the end. Um, Last question for you, uh, why Bethany? If you were talking to a prospective, let's say a junior or a senior in high school that's trying to make that decision of where they're gonna go, what may, why, Beth, why come to Bethany? Why come to this section of the Northern Panhandle in Brook County, West Virginia? Bethany has a long history of developing great leaders and thinkers and that is the same today as it was when I was there. And I think if you want to go anywhere and make a difference in your life, you need to learn to think and to question and to contribute and to collaborate. And if you so choose to lead. And I truly believe that Bethany offers that and offers it in an exceptional environment of um, collaboration between faculty and student and and not to mention how beautiful it is on the campus that is true that is true um well marie thank you very much i understand you are a very busy person so i'm <laughs> glad that we could get you to sit down for for this the 40 odd minutes that we've been on um i want to thank you everybody that was that helped get this show together thank you very much for being for reaching back out when we when i asked you to be on the show um, best of luck to the Mets in the rest of this. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'm not going to, I can't give credit to the Jets because, you know, I'm a Steeler fan and we're in, we're, we're going to be looking for a new quarterback here at the end of the year anyways. So, um, I wish, I wish the Jets the best, but. Well, I thank you. And thank you for inviting me to be on here. It's really been a pleasure and I've enjoyed watching the other dingo talks with other Bethanians. Well, thank you for watching. Uh, this has been Marie de Paris, class of 19. 83. I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour. Don't forget, you can follow us on Instagram. It's Dingo underscore talk. Twitter, it's di at Dingo Talk. TikTok, it's at Dingo Talk. Uh, and you can email the Dingo Talk page if you have any questions or if you want to be on the show. Uh, but 10 a.m. on Thursdays, Chuckleheads. Don't miss it. We'll see you next week. You want to know by now. You want to know by now. You want to know by now.